Welcome to The Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This radio program is a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible. And on today's edition of The Word for Today, Pastor Chuck continues with the function of the priest as we pick up in Leviticus chapter 21, verse 1. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor Chuck. Shall we turn now to Leviticus chapter 21? As we have often told you, a priest had a twofold function. First, he was to stand before God representing the people, bringing their offerings before the Lord and, and their standing before God for the people. Then he would come out and he would stand before the people for God. He was the people's representative to God. He was God's representative to the people. He was a go-between. And thus the priest was a special kind of an individual. Even as in the New Testament, there were special rules for the bishops. Lifestyles that they had to adopt in order to be a bishop in the church. And certain rules that applied to the bishop that didn't apply to all the others within the church. Because his life was to be exemplary. As Paul said to Timothy, Be thou an example unto the believer. It is never a very effective leader who said, Now do as I say. The truly effective leader will say, now do as I do, setting the example. And thus the priest, as God's representative, was to be a special kind of person. And so in chapter 21, God gives some of the special aspects of the priest and of the priesthood. Now, they were not to defile themselves for the dead among the people. Now, if a person died and you touched the dead body, you were considered unclean. Ceremonially, you could not enter into God until uh, that day was over, until sundown, and then you'd have to take a bath, and then you could come into the tabernacle. But uh, for ceremonial purposes, approaching God purposes, you couldn't do it. You were unclean. Now, the priest was never to touch a dead body of anyone except those of his own immediate family. That is, a mother, a father, a son, a daughter, or those of his immediate family, lest he would defile himself with a ceremonial uncleanness. So that's what this is pertaining to, in the first part of the 21st chapter, of those that he can, uh, those that he could touch, his sister, who was a virgin, that is near to him, who has no husband. But he will not defile himself, being a chief man among his people, to profane himself. Neither should they make any baldness upon their head, that is, In a taking of a vow, many times people would shave their heads in taking a vow. A priest was not 
to take that kind of a vow. He wasn't to get the Hare Krishna look. And neither shall they shave off the corner of their beards or make any cuttings in their flesh. In other words, his body was to be a rather unblemished kind of body. He wasn't to defile his body or to mark up his body because really the priest was standing before God and standing before God, God wanted the fellow to be whole and sound and not weird looking. And so these are the requirements. They shall be holy or separated. The word holy is actually separated unto their God and not profane the name of their God. For the offerings of the Lord are made by fire. Now they shall not take a wife who was a whore or profane. Neither shall they take a woman who has been put away from her husband. He was not to marry a divorced woman. He is to be set apart for he offers bread to God. Because the Lord said, I, the Lord which sanctify you, am holy. Now the daughter of any priest, if she would defile herself, then she was to be burned with fire. And uh, when the high priest had the anointing oil poured on him, then he was not to defile himself for any dead body. He wasn't to touch any dead body as long as the anointing oil was upon him not even of his father or mother. Again, dealing with the wife, he was to take a virgin of the children of Israel as a wife. Now, there were certain things physically that could disqualify a person from the priesthood, and God deals with the physical disqualifications. If any man has any blemish, he shall not approach God. That is, a priest could not be blind or lame or have a flat nose or anything that is superfluous. So you couldn't have any weird growth on your body. Or a man that is broken-footed or broken-handed or crook-backed or a dwarf. He that has a blemish in his eye or has scurvy or scabbed cannot really approach unto God. No man that hath a blemish of the seed of Aaron and the priest shall come nigh to offer offerings to the Lord. And so the physical disqualifications uh, for th those who would approach God. Now in the 22nd chapter, he deals with the priests and the things that they could eat. You see, the uh, things that were brought in sacrifice, a portion of them became meat for the priest. So uh, the qualifications now are the rules regarding the sacrifices that he ate. Only the priest and his family could eat them. Uh, they were not to give them out to strangers, or if he had company, he wasn't to offer to the company the food that had been offered as a sacrifice to God that was his portion as a priest. If he had a daughter who was divorced from her husband and had moved back home, then she could eat it. Yet it was only to be eaten by him and his immediate family. If he hired a servant, the hired servant couldn't eat that food. But if he had purchased a slave, the purchased slave being a part of the household 
could eat then uh, that food. So the various persons that could eat the food that belonged to the priest as his part uh, from the sacrifices uh, that were made. And then in verse 17, God is talking now about when you make a sacrifice unto the Lord and when you give something unto God, that what you give is, first of all, again, of your own free will, but you're not to offer unto God any kind of an animal that has a blemish. In other words, you weren't to take your animals that were of no value and give them to God. God didn't want the cast-offs. No, we don't know what to do with it. We might as well give it to God, you know. God didn't want it. In, in years of ministry, we have received just a, a lot of interesting kind of things that uh, people did not find any use for anymore, but they didn't want to throw it away. And so uh, we had one ugly old rocking chair in the parsonage in Tucson, and these people didn't want it in their home because it was so old and ugly, but they didn't want to throw it away because it was Grandma's rocking chair, you know, and, and uh, she rocked all the kids in that chair before she died, and so it had a lot of sentimental value. And so they, they give it to the church, but we can't, you know, give it away because it was Grandma's, and, uh, you know, it's got to be out there, and, and it's a mess to try to deal with those kind of things. God didn't want to be bothered to want the priest hassle with those kind of things. So he said, look, if it's broken, if it's blemished, don't give it to God. And uh, I think that's a good rule. I think that uh, it's sort of an, an affront to God to give him something that uh, has uh, really no value to us. In fact, you remember when David wanted to buy the threshing floor of Ornan in order uh, to offer a sacrifice to God. And, and he wanted to buy uh, the, the ox that was there. Ornan said, hey, I'll give it to you, David. And David said, oh, no, I won't sacrifice unto God that which cost me nothing. David had very strong feelings about that. I'm not going to give to God something that didn't cost me anything. And uh, so God here declares that when you offer to God a burnt offering and all, it shall be without blemish. And whatever has a blemish, you're not to offer it, for it will not be accepted by God. It shall be perfect, verse 21, to be accepted. There shall be no blemish therein. Therefore, if you have an old blind lamb or a broken down ox or maimed, or if it has a disease or scurvy or a scab, don't offer those to the Lord to make an offering by fire. Or any bullock or lamb that has anything superfluous or lacking in his parts. That is, if it was born a freak kind of an animal with two heads or something like that, you weren't to offer it to God. Now, you may offer it for a free will offering if you want, but not for a vow because God won't accept the vow. And so you shall not offer to the Lord that which is bruised, crushed, broken, cut, neither shall you make any offering thereof in your land. 
neither from the stranger's hand. In other words, God just isn't interested in broken down, scurvied things to be offered to him. I read a story one time of a farmer who came in to his wife all excited, and as he sat down, he said, Well, our cow calved this morning, and they're twins. And I'm just so excited, I decided to give one of them to the Lord. And so we'll raise them together, and when they get old enough or big enough to sell, then one of them is the Lord's, and, and whatever comes from it, we'll just give to the Lord. And so she said, oh, that's fine, honey. I think that's a wonderful idea. And so she went out and looked at them, and she said, oh, that's great. Now, which one's the Lord's? He said, oh, it really doesn't make any difference. And so a few months went on, and he came in one morning, and he wasn't looking so good. And she said, what's wrong? He said, oh, the Lord's calf died. And I'm afraid that quite often we are that way with the Lord. We want to give of our surplus. You remember how Jesus was standing with his disciples one day, watching the people as they dropped their money in the treasury. And the wealthy people were coming in and making their big, ostentatious donations. And in the crowd, a little woman, widow woman, came with a mite. Now there are ten mites to a penny. And she dropped a mite into the treasury. And Jesus turned to his disciples and said, She just put in the biggest gift of all. And what do you mean, Lord? He said the rest of them were giving out of their abundance. In other words, it didn't cost them anything to give. But this woman has given of her very sustenance. So God doesn't really measure your gift by the amount of what you have given. The measure that God puts upon your giving is what did it cost you to give to God? What did it cost you? That's what God is looking at, not the amount of the gift. That's never a consideration with God. Therefore, some of the poorest of you will have the greatest rewards in heaven, who have given to God out of your very, out of your very sustenance. And some of those who have made these large, great contributions to God will hardly be noticed in heaven because it didn't hurt them. It didn't cost them. They just gave out of their abundance. It wasn't costing them anything. In fact, it was a good tax write-off. So in giving to God free will always, of his own will always, but then giving God the best, not the cast-offs, not that which you can't use anymore, not that which really has no value to you, let's give it to God kind of a thing, but honoring God, showing our love to God, giving God the best that we have. It's important indeed. 
chapter 23, God outlines the various holidays, the feast days for the children of Israel. First of all, in the first three verses, God deals with the Sabbath day once more. The seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest, a holy convocation. You shall not do any work. It is the Sabbath of the Lord in all your dwellings. Now there are seven feasts that are listed here. And the first, or the 14th day of the first month, the month of April in the Jewish calendar, the 14th day is the Lord's Passover. And so then is when the Passover feast was celebrated, the 14th day of the first month. And on the 15th day of the same month is the Feast of Unleavened Bread unto the Lord. So the 14th day is Passover. Then the next day begins a seven-day feast period of unleavened bread in which they were to cleanse their house of all leavened bread and uh, they were to have this week of vacation, resting, feasting unto the Lord. And they're not to do any work during that week's time. So they were vacations, actually. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, verse 10, When you have come into the land, and I have given it unto you, and ye shall reap the harvest thereof. Then shall ye bring a sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest unto the priest, and he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord to be accepted for you. And on the morrow after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. And ye shall offer that day when ye wave the sheaf of the he lamb without blemish, the first year of burnt offering unto the Lord, and the meal offering, and they tell how it should be given, and the drink offering. So. This was the offering of first fruits unto God, which was separate from the Feast of Pentecost. But this was just bringing to God, when they come into the land, the first fruits of the harvest, the first fruits belonging to God and recognizing that the first fruits is God. Not the less leftovers, but that which is first. And then God deals with the Passover feast. And then you shall count from the day after the Sabbath, that is the the final Sabbath of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, that you brought the sheaf of the wafer offering for seven Sabbaths shall be complete. And even on the morrow after the seventh Sabbath shall ye number fifty days, and ye shall offer the new meal offering unto the Lord, and ye shall bring out of your habitations two wayloads, of two-tenths of deals, and they shall be of fine flour. They shall be baked, notice, with leaven. Now, each of these feasts had its fulfillment in, in Jesus Christ and in the church and in the New Testament. Of course, the Feast of the Passover, we have no problem with that. Christ becoming our Passover. Christ, the bread of life, unleavened. And so the feast of the unleavened bread. And then we have the feast of Pentecost, the 50 days. Interestingly enough, the bread is to have leaven. 
offer the whole loaves, leaven. Now, the Feast of Pentecost was a foreshadowing of the church, actually. So it was significant that in Acts chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, the disciples were gathered together in one accord in one place, and suddenly there was a noise from heaven that sounded like a mighty rushing wind, and there were cloven tongues of fire that sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them the ability or prompted their speech. So the descent of the Holy Spirit, the birth of the church, was foreshadowed by the Feast of Pentecost, which was really the ingathering of the first fruits unto the Lord, which on the day of Pentecost, the first of the multitude who were to be saved through the preaching of the gospel and through the ministry of the church were brought in. Some 3,000 souls were added to the church that day. That was the first fruits. We'll return with more of our verse-by-verse Bible study in the book of Leviticus on our next broadcast as Pastor Chuck continues to teach through the Bible. And we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order Leviticus 21 through 23 when visiting the wordfortoday.org. And while you're there, be sure to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, that's the wordfortoday.org. For those of you wishing to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD, and our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is The Word for Today, P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of the Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure to join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. May the Lord be with you, and may the Lord strengthen you through this week, and may the Word Be as a fire burning within your heart as God ministers to you His truth. And may your life be purged through the Word, cleansed. And may you walk with the Lord in beautiful fellowship. May God grant to you opportunities of witnessing and serving Him. In Jesus' name. This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. For years, Pastor Chuck was asked thousands of questions. This new guy that my mom married, he thinks that the Christian beliefs are foolish, and I was wondering if that's going to like affect my mom's walk. I'm a Christian. I'm trying to fight the addiction of smoking, and are those things going to keep me from going in the rapture? Is it okay to use your tithe and give it to someone who's going on a mission trip instead of giving it directly to church? 
The Word for Today is pleased to present an ebook called Biblical Counseling by Chuck Smith, listing over 200 topics that include Pastor Chuck's commentary and the scripture references he used. Topics include addiction, business relationships, depression, lawsuits, sexuality, training children, and so much more. To download the Biblical Counseling ebook by Chuck Smith, visit thewordfortoday.org and click on the link provided. Or you can call 1-800-272-9673.